And this is Jim and Becky Graham, and they currently live in Taiwan. And good to see you guys again. Um, they are here for a few weeks. Their two, their their two sons, Nathan and Mark, actually are part of our church. And their oldest son, Mark, just graduated from Cal Baptist Army ROTC program, and so he is headed off on what day? Twenty. 20- so a week from tomorrow, and so um, just you're getting some time with their boys and with all of us, and so we have some common history. Um, uh, Jim and Becky had um, a portion of their training was at a church in Fort Worth, Texas, which we're very close to. This church it's, it's called Hope Community Church, and Pastor Harold Bullock there. He he is a uh, pastor that planted a church in Texas over 30 years ago, and tried to create a church that would really help people get at heart change and trained uh, these folks and many others. There's been over 70 churches that have come out of that church. And my mentor is one of the pastors that was trained there as well. And so most of my training, most of their training, all kind of the same um, like network. And so very like-hearted couple. Always enjoyed just time with them. We met them, I think, at a, one of Harold's conferences a while back. But um, So I asked them to come. We did an offering last year um, in Christmas time. And we raised um, five thousand dollars, and eight hundred of that went to um, help them in their ministry in Taiwan. And so, asked them to come and share a little bit about that. And we are a new, newer church. We're about three years old, um, and our involvement primarily towards missions has been in giving. And in some, some of our people from our church have actually went overseas as well for short-term trips. But um, this is one of those areas where we've slowly been. Um, trying to get more perspective on how God would want us to be involved. And so this is, this is part of that, is learning um, what steps we're to take in the area of being involved in sharing the good news, um, not just in our city here, but being involved in what God's doing around the nations. And so first question that I think comes to most people's minds when we talk to missionaries or those who, who head overseas is why would anyone do that? Why would you live on the other side of the world? Why would you leave your family? Well, why would you leave your you know your your parents, why would you go learn a new language, all of that. They've been in, in Taiwan for nine years. Before that, they were church planning in Canada. And so, help us understand the mind of a missionary. I think for, I think for both of us, um, God's had a start at working in our hearts for a long time, even for me just as a teenager. And even as younger than a teenager, I grew up in a church that talked about missions, and I got to learn about missions about different countries around the world. And so, I was very interested in in doing that, was looking towards that for my future. And when Jim and I met, that was part of the reason why we came together, I think, is because uh, God just confirmed in both of us that we had a call right in the right direction. Uh, it's not an easy thing to uh, move away. We, all of my life, I'm from San Diego. All of my life I've lived away from San Diego and away from my parents and uh, my brother. And uh, the rest of my family's kind of spread out. But... Um, it's all been part of God's plan, and I think that's, that's really important. It's a challenge to live cross-culturally. It's a challenge to learn language. Um, we started our language school in our um, 40s or something like that, again, um, as we were um, doing that. But studies have shown that learning a new language in your upper middle age kind of years really works well for the brain cells. So that's a good thing for us. We're, we're, I'm still waiting for it to work on me. <laughs> You got, they, they learned Mandarin, Chinese, yes. to, to be able to share. And how long did that take? How, yeah, how long was the initial language school portion? Um, for me, it was about a year and a half. It took Becky about two and a half years. She would take the summers off to um, hang with the boys when they were out of school, so it took her a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I was afraid to stop for the summer because I was afraid I'd lose it completely and it would never come back. That makes sense. That makes sense. How many of you took Spanish in high school? How many of you can speak Spanish? <laughs> I'm Hispanic and I can't speak Spanish. So. And when I speak Spanish now, half of it comes out Chinese, so I'm really messed up. Yeah. So this is a, this is a major setting aside mm-hmm. of, of self to do what you guys are doing. Um, how do you guys reach out? What are you guys doing in Taiwan? Um, what does your ministry look like? We've got some photos that we're going to be kind of scrolling through as well. Well, the primary thing I do is I work with church leaders, and I do training. And we do a simple form of evangelistic training. 
the church in Taiwan is very traditional. And we used to joke about how evangelism there was going out into the street, literally pulling somebody off the street into the church building and then making them sit there until they prayed to receive Christ. And, uh, you know, that doesn't work very well. In any culture. In any culture. Um, but I do a lot of training and equipping of people. And, uh, but Becky has a different style of ministry. Um, when you look at a t- city like Taipei, it's, it's 7 million people. Most of the people live in apartment complexes that are limited access. And so that means there's a guard or there are people that prevent us from going in there and doing some things. So we've chosen um, to use education as our point of entry uh, into the communities. One of the primary, when the the photos start to scroll through, those are pictures of a junior high in Banqiao. That literally means wooden bridge, and it's a suburb of Taipei with 565,000 people, and statistics show that one-tenth of one percent of those people are Christ followers. And so... Education is the number one industry in Taipei. There are 48 universities and colleges with between 800 and 900,000 students. A junior high like this will have um, four or 5,000 students in it. We have uh, great open opportunities because we're foreigners, we're white, and we speak English. We um, are often invited into schools. And we get to do what we call cultural exchanges, where we come in and we talk about Western culture. We often center it around holidays. And holidays are great because you can always um, connect a theme. And the most important themes, can you guess what they are? The most important Christian holidays are what? Christmas and Easter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the pictures that you're seeing are uh, from an activity that we did just this last Easter where we got to uh, go into a school uh, we had a team from an international, there's a Christian international school where our sons attended that uh, there was a team of students that took their spring break and uh, came to Taipei, prepared really well, and got to go into these schools with, um, with myself and some other missionaries helping along with that. And they uh, told the Easter story. We get, you know, it's, it's nothing like it is here. You can't even imagine going into a public school and doing something like that here. But there, they're very open to it. They really want to know what's the stories behind behind these holidays, and they want to know what, what the truth is. And so that's what we share. Not everyone really believes all the time, but it gives us the opportunity to plant in so many seeds. Uh, these students were very unique in that they are mostly Asian. You can see that some of them that are up in the front of the classroom, they um, they ought, some of them have even come from the same kind of backgrounds that... Um, These students come from their very traditional uh, Buddhist Taoist families. And so as they got to share their testimonies and how God got a hold of their life and how he changed it as they committed their lives to Christ, it was really very powerful. And to see that was amazing. We got to share this just in May. I mean, in April, we got to share with over a thousand students in two days. And uh, so God was really good to give us that. And we keep getting more and more opportunities like that. This school in particular, a couple of our teammates get, have had developed a relationship with the teachers there. They go in once a month and do something on holidays, even things like Halloween or Valentine's Day. You can still relate to a Christian theme. And uh, they've gotten to, my coworker has gotten to teach a Bible study for the teachers. And they do all kinds of topics. How do you deal with anger in your life? How do you deal with depression? All kinds of things like that. And bring scripture to show how it relates to that. We also have opportunities to work with churches and help them learn how to do outreach. And I am involved in doing some outreach groups at different churches. And it's a blessing to get to help people. They have no kind of basis. You can't just say, well, Jesus died for your sins. You should repent and be born again. They just have no basis for understanding what does that mean, what is sin, or anything. So you have to start really from the groundwork and build that foundation of who is God and that he created you. And uh, even some of the things that you share today in your message, I'm going to take back. I got some new ideas today about how to just be creative in, in sharing the good news that we have in Christ. We, uh, I mean, they have a real, they have an opportunity we don't have. What we have is um, we have resources to be able to support those who have these opportunities. And so um, God may call people to go as they have gone um, from, from within our church. And, but right now, um, you know, like I said, we, we gave from that offering, and they used that money for 
some yeah, films I mean, and if you'll see I don't know when the picture is is that the picture the kids are holding up something that's a, a DVD that we gave them uh, with money that we bought we bought them with money from from your church that you gave for the uh, give hope offering and there is a DVD of the life of Jesus and it's in English with Chinese subtitles or in Chinese so it's really a good thing because they can practice their English watching it and they're very happy to receive it in fact they even got everybody's autographs they wanted all the people that came to get their autographs like they were big stars that came to visit their school it was a great great blessing we also can give a we partner with Campus Crusade for Christ who does a lot of they do a lot of um, uh, evangelistic materials in really culturally relevant ways. The Taiwanese young people are really into Japanese car- comics, like the uh, anime. And so they've done some, some biblical comics in that style and uh, give those out as well. And it's, it's great, great tools that we're able to give because of people, churches like yours, that give money to share with us so that we can share with them. Um, do you guys have any ideas for us as far as how we can grow in our involvement in international missions? Uh, I'm going to try and say this without losing it. There are two times in the life of a missionary where it's really hard to stay overseas. It's when your parents get old and sick, and the second is when your kids leave home. And uh, two years ago, we brought Nathan to school here. And... uh, His first Sunday here... He said, this is home. And he went up to Josh after the first service and said, Josh, how do I join this church? And uh, by being here and creating a a spiritual home for our boys, you're allowing us. They're not here, so we can say it. (laughs) They were here in the first service. They're probably helping outside right now. (laughs) Uh, So we can say it now because they're not in here. Um, But... By being here and by doing church the way you do, you've created a spiritual home for our boys so that we can stay overseas. And I think for us, that's the number one thing that you guys do for us. Second thing is we've got some basic needs like um, we're, we're, uh, we're Luddites. Um, you know, don't ask Becky anything about a computer. You know, I'm only slightly better than her. Uh, but we've wanted to have a team web page, a city web page, for about five years. Um, and then there's, uh, we, as OCC grows, Jesus gave the responsibility of reaching the world to the church. He didn't give it to missionaries. But what we can do on the field is provide opportunities for you as a church, as you grow disciples, uh, to reach for OCC, to take the Great Commission and make it a part of who you are, so that you can be about the business of reaching the world. And the world's here in Riverside. Um, every time I go into any grocery store, I hear people speaking Mandarin. Uh, yesterday we were somewhere and I heard people speaking Mandarin. And so uh, the world is here. So by reaching your neighbors and reaching the people who are here, you're a part of sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. You mentioned a couple of your needs. Anything else you, you guys need that we can be praying for or, or providing? Uh, prayer is absolutely the most important thing that you can do for us. And you can pray for general things, as you've heard us talk about ministry things, but you can also pray for specific things. If you have a pen, I'd like for you to write down three names. There are some ladies that I've been sharing with, and their names are Elsa, Tina, and Doris. That's Elsa, Tina, and Doris. And they are three ladies that are very close to... Uh, making a decision for Christ. They're just working through those last steps of faith of, is this really true enough that I can, uh, that I can step out and put my whole heart trust in this? And, um, and we're praying to see that happen. But I, I really believe there's, you can explain and you can explain and you can explain and you can encourage them to read this or read that, go to this scripture or that scripture, but the, the bottom line is the Holy Spirit has got to open the doors to their heart. And he does that um, by the work of prayer. I really believe that, and, and I'd ask you to partner with us in praying specifically for those three women. Um, the first weekend of June, I go back and I lead uh, seven sessions, two on Friday, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. And I'm doing a, a vision casting with um, a group of churches that are in Taipei County. And the purpose of the training is to cast a vision for them to reach their neighborhood, reach their family and friends, 
and then go out beyond that. And this is the first step in uh, probably four or five training sessions where we will be working with them to cast a vision so that they too will be a part of reaching the world. And then the second Saturday in June, I start a new outreach group with a bunch of young people in a neighborhood that is um, probably less than one-tenth of one percent Christian. So, Praying for you guys. With those things. Okay. Well, let's pray. Let's pray together for these. Father, we thank you again for, for Jim and for Becky. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in their lives. Lord, the fact that you have... Um, directed them, Lord, and that they obeyed You to go overseas, Lord, to invest themselves personally, Lord, in reaching people <clears throat> with no hope, God, and with many you know, many of them no access to, to that hope. And so, Lord, we thank You that they would step out. We thank You for the relationship that we've been forming with them as friends and as a church. Lord, we pray that um, we continue to minister, Lord, to them from a distance, um, building into their, their children, Lord, supporting them, praying for them as well as Mark heads out. Um, Lord, we, we just ask for your um, continued protection over Becky, over Jim, Lord, for their relationship, God, that, that you would help them to stay connected to each other, Lord, that they would continue to surrender the old ways, Lord, and allow your, your spirit to just transform and renew their, their marriage, Lord, that they would be a light to marriages and families and in, uh, in Taiwan, Lord, thank you for the just the the ripening of, of of lives currently, Lord. We thank you for these three ladies, Elsa, Tina, and Doris, Lord, and just the way that their hearts are turning towards you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you've done there, Lord. We pray that as Becky goes back and others join in, Lord, that that they would experience the new life within, and Father, that 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 life would just um, grow and that they would produce real fruit of real change, Lord. Uh, thank you, God, for Becky and the initiative she takes with people, with individuals, with ladies there. Pray you continue to give her creative ways, Lord. Strengthen her, Lord. She's tired when she's um, also just maybe at, at a loss for what to do next, Lord. I pray that you just would supply wisdom, Lord, energy, God. And Father, for Jim as he's headed back to do these trainings, Lord, we just pray for energy, Lord, perspective, Lord, and, and just clarity, Lord, that as he shares with these churches that, that things would make sense, things would click, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just move in those talks and that people would walk out of there with a plan, Lord, to reach more people. And as a church, God, I pray that you would help us to be more aware, God, of what you're doing around the world. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing here. But Lord, we, we, we recognize that this this work needs to continue to reproduce in our community. It also needs to reproduce regionally and then going out, God, further to the ends of the earth, Lord. We thank you for that um, charge that you've given us, Lord. And we pray that we would be about that, Lord. And we wouldn't just talk about it, Lord, but that we would take steps, Lord, wise steps, Lord, that would allow us to make um, what's on your heart really a part of the fabric of what we do here, God. Thank you for this, this couple, Lord for the way they've stepped out and for the way that challenges us, Lord. We, we just pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, through their example. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for sharing. Amen. They're, they're going to be here um, for another week, and, and they're, they are, uh, but they'll be at the picnic as well. And so I'd really encourage you to get, get a moment and go and chat with them. Learn about their life a little more. This is a really compelling example because it, you still ask the question, yeah, but why would you do that? Why would you pack up and leave the comfort of your home and family and all that? And so something has changed within them. Something has changed. Something clicked over, and it was worth it for them to do this. And that's really what we're looking at today, just the fact that change happens in our life, and it makes the future, it just can change what we do with our future. We've been looking at how Jesus can help us bounce back in life. He can help us respond to downturns in life, whereas on our own power, we might be able to just survive and recover from problems in our finances or relationships. On our own, we can respond and bounce back. We can't quite respond in the way that we could with His power at work within us. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at how, how through, through the power of Jesus Christ... 
we can experience a whole new uh, future with possibilities. We've looked at uh, three different ideas first. On Easter, we looked at the resurrection, really, which is the power. That's where the power to bounce back comes from. The second week, we looked at repentance. The word repentance really means to go back and admit the truth about myself. It's, it's the bottom. Until we hit the truth, until we hit the bottom of true repentance and begin to identify things that are holding us back, we can't really change. We can't experience the new life. Repentance, <clears throat> as we looked at, it always needs to be preceded by something called sorrow, godly sorrow, where we really come to grip with who we are, how desperately we need Him, and then fruit is born in our life. We begin to see change. Last week we looked at um, the rebirth experience that is evidenced by the Holy Spirit coming inside of us. When a person yields to Jesus, God puts His Spirit inside of us, and that is what brings about the change so that we can see lasting fruit. And each of these things really been building on each other. Today we're looking at another, another word that begins with the prefix re. That prefix re means to go, to go back. So re, the word redeem means to buy back. We're looking at this idea of being redeemed, okay? To buy back. We redeem a government savings bond when we give it back to the government. They buy it back from us. Or if you have a gift card from a store, They'll buy it back from you in exchange for merchandise. That's how this idea works. And the truth is, we, we need to be redeemed as well. We need to be bought back. Our past life is in great need of redemption. So very quickly this morning, we are going to look at this idea of being redeemed. And more importantly, we want to gain an understanding of why we needed to be redeemed. From what did we need to be redeemed? But then what difference does that make in our life? Because I think the big question is, we're not just... It's not just about the fact that we needed redemption, but it's about the change that ought to come as a result of that. So, every one of us recognize that we make mistakes. We all know we sin. Last week, you and I had 168 hours to make decisions. This upcoming week, we have another 168 hours to make more decisions. And every time we decide on something, our decisions are recorded as purchases. Everything we do, it's like a purchase. We're purchasing things in the future. We're not just passing through time. We're actually exchanging time for a future. Scripture says we reap what we sow. Everything we do is connected. Or everything we experience is connected to what we've experienced in the past. And what we find out is that the past is somewhat of a non-refundable purchase. So when we try to bounce back, we're actually fighting against this downward pull of gravity on our lives. The past pulls down on our lives, and we kind of drag it along like a weight around our ankles. That keeps us from making much future progress. And so because of that, because of the past and the sin in our past, it's not enough to just say, you know what, today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to turn my life around. The truth is, you and I have a past that still needs to be redeemed, and we cannot redeem it on our own. We don't have what it takes to redeem our past. None of us have the stock. None of us have the ability, the credit to just purchase our past mistakes. We need someone who will, who will take all of our past garbage and just remove it from our ankles. And so we need this redemption because our sin has purchased a curse on our future. Our future has been cursed by the choices we've made and by the choices others have made in the past parents, grandparents, and most people, we try to make up for, for poor past performance with just good things in the future. We try to make up for it. It's called self-redemption. But the problem is, we're still, we, we're under a curse. We could never do enough good to make up for the past. This word curse is not something we use. We know, you know, we think of cussing and cursing and all of that, but in Scripture, what is a curse? A curse is words of destruction that have the power to, to determine what will happen to us. It's kind of like a divine judgment that brings with it a sentence on our life, a sentence of condemnation, being found guilty. God doesn't arbitrarily just curse people. He doesn't enjoy cursing people. God simply tells us His ways. He reveals who He is. He tells us His ways. Do this, and you will be blessed. Don't do this, and you're under this curse. You will be cursed. And because it's God's words, if I, you know, I don't have that much power to determine the future. But because it's God's words, doing them or not doing them automatically 
results in either blessing or cursing. Because He has revealed His ways, which are true and real. So we're looking briefly at this passage in Galatians where, where Paul, an early church starter, he established his church in this region, which in the region there was quite a division in this church. A division over trying to still get everything right based on God's laws. And certain people were still trying to drive home a point that you can get it right. We can all get it right if we'll just obey everything in God's laws. And so there was, there was people in the church selling this idea that nobody could really live up to. And so Paul, he was correcting a false teaching in this passage that talks about the limits of God's laws. Because God's laws are, as we're going to find out, um, impossible to fully keep. So look at this passage here, Galatians 3.10. Paul says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So if you make your life about living for the law, you're under a curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. See, you and I are under a curse if we fail to do even one of God's laws, is what we find out. Just one missing the mark on even just one of God's laws is a problem. And we sometimes think, well, I can... You know, I can do this and that, and I can obey the Ten commands, Commandments, but according to that verse there, none of us really can do this. Curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So even one, all of us, we fail. And this is, this is my copy of God's laws, and this is what God says is right and wrong. Who, who keeps all of this? It's, it, some do it better than others. But nobody does everything in this. And it would be nice if God graded on a curve, wouldn't it? If I did good this week. I did a lot better this week than I did last week. And, and that's great. You know, I did a lot better than that guy did. You know, I can see that. But God doesn't grade on a curve. His laws are not just this set of nice moral suggestions so that we can have self-improvement in life. His laws lay out protection. They actually save our life. His ways save our life. The problem is, even one sin separates us from the God who created us in His image. So we're in trouble because of this. His ways are right, but we can't keep His ways. To illustrate, if I went to the beach, and I jumped off the pier, and I had this concrete block chained around my ankle, what would happen to me? I would die. I would sink and I would die. You know, for me, I might be able to live for about... A minute and a half. Not even, probably not, but I'd be panicking. I'd probably reduce that to 45 seconds. But I would die. I was just, it's because I have entered into a territory that I was not created to live in. I have been cursed with lungs and not gills, right? And that is very similar to understanding the way that when we break one of God's laws, it's like we've just entered into a territory where God is not. He's not there. He's He works a certain way. When we step outside of His ways, we step into a realm that is not protected. It's cursed. And that's the curse of being created in His image. He's made us to be like Him, to reflect Him. So we can't just go off on our own and survive very long. We might be able to hold our breath for a while. We can live 70 years, maybe 80 years, a few people longer than that. But eventually we die, and what we find out is we will be separated from Him if we're still under this curse. In the Bible, the word curse and the counterpart word blessing, these are territorial ideas. You're either in God's presence, you're in this kind of zone or territory of blessing, or you're outside of it. And it's not that God is mad and started cursing everyone, but by breaking God's laws, we have left the zone of blessing. We've stepped out from the territory where He had created us to live in. Look at how Paul continues. Galatians 3.11 So not only are we doomed, but clearly no one is justified before God by the law. That's based off of verse 10. Because the righteous will live by faith. This has always been the case. Faith has always come to the righteous. The law was instituted after God made a promise based on a man who believed God. And God said, he's a righteous man. He's believed in me. He's put his trust in me. Verse 12 says, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. The problem is, 
No one, and verse 12 says this, no one can really live up to God's standard of perfection. Not a one of us. And to try to live in line with the law, if we start trying to live like they, there was this division in that church who were trying to keep all the laws and justify themselves by keeping the law and outwardly showing symbols of that, it, they were being held accountable to the law. And if you want to live by the law, Paul's saying, you're going to be held accountable to the law. That means you're guilty because no one can truly keep it. Even a very devout law keeper named Paul, guy who wrote this letter, he, he found himself, when he was a strict religious man trying to keep the laws, he was still guilty. In Romans 7.10 he said, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring me life actually brought me death. He was saying, man, I, I was guilty. And if a strict religious man is doomed, then what hope do we have? It sounds like it's bad news, but we get to verse 13 and we find out this is our hope. Christ redeemed us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because we couldn't do anything about this. He's, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He, he continues, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham. God made a blessing to this man, Abraham. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. And write that down if you want to study up on this. But he, God made a promise to bless this man so that he would experience God's favor over the course of his life, that he would have an inheritance that all people on earth would be blessed by him. And so what, what he's saying here is we can experience that blessing through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, if we want to be in the, that zone or that territory of God's blessing, it doesn't come through trying to get everything right with God's law. It comes through trusting in Jesus Christ. We couldn't do it on our own, so he did He. He paid the price. That's what we, we learned. We can't pay for our past sin. So Jesus did that. He suffered our sentence of condemnation. He paid for the curse. And God's judgment was satisfied through the death of Jesus. And it really, as we yield to Him, as we accept Him into our life and follow Him as Lord, we begin to experience a whole new life. But then the big question, which is why I kind of brought all this up in the first place, is well, what do we do now? Does that mean, since the curse has been lifted, I can do whatever I want? Because I know many people here, you've already responded to Jesus. You've invited Him in. I know some haven't. You're still mulling on the decision to follow Christ. But if you've already decided to follow Him, the curse has been lifted. And so we tend to think, well, there's no borders on my life anymore. I can blow past boundaries. I don't have to live by God's laws. I'm saved by God's grace. I put my faith in Christ, so I can do what I want. So does this, is that what it means? In Christ, you're free from the curse of eternal death. But you're not free, and we're not free, from God's words as they relate to this life. We can pick up a lot of problems by decisions we make along the way. In this life, if we ignore God's words on money, God has a lot to say about money, and if we just blow past it and just shut the book mentally, and just, uh, I'm going to do money my way. God has a lot to say about earning money, spending money, saving money, giving money. He talks about planning. If we just blow past all of that, what we find out is that we will watch our money cursed by God. And we'll be working harder and harder than everyone else, but our money, for some reason, seems to be disappearing very quickly. It might be that God has cursed that money in this life because of the way we're ignoring God's laws and God's ways. He compares to this idea. Look, if you want to look at this later, write down the, the reference Haggai chapter 1. H A G G. This is one of those strange. H A G G A I I, I think. You'll find it. Near the end of the Old Testament. Haggai. Haggai. Chapter 1. This prophet, he talks to this church and he says, they basically, they were ignoring God's, they were becoming very materialistic, very self-focused, ignoring God's ways about money. And he said, you're putting, it's like you're putting money in purses or sacks with a hole in it. And you realize, wow, I've got nothing left. I just thought I had all, I just deposited all this money, and it's all gone. He, he's saying, you've done all this work, and I blew it away. Powerful passage in Haggai chapter 1, but it's the idea of what we do here and now 
it still, it still makes a difference on this life and how we experience the blessings of God here and now. Or, you know, move money aside. If in this life you ignore God's laws and how to relate to each other, if we, if we just blow past what God has to say, if we shut the book on what God has to say about in marriage or friendships, treating people, then watch as your, unrela- as your, as your relationships just unravel, disintegrate. Guys, you can treat your wives poorly. And watch God refuse to listen to your prayers. That's 1 Peter 3.7. If, if we show no consideration, as chauvinists, I was listening to something this week about males and chauvinism in, in the church and how, how bad it can get. The Scripture says that God won't hear our prayers. Ladies, in the same way, you can treat your husband with little to no respect and just watch how your plans just continue to get frustrated. Trying to control him to get him to do what you want. And it just seems like as much as you try to control, he's even more uncontrollable. He will not be led by you. It's just frustrating. And it's true. This curse can be lifted. The curse of eternal death and separation from God. But we can still make a mess of our life here and now. And, and I want a better life. I know you do. I, I know you want a better life. And like me, we don't want to arrive empty at the end of our lives, realizing I have invested myself in a way of living that was very far from what God would want. So Jesus, He redeemed us. This is another point in your outline. Jesus redeemed us from empty ways of living. He wants us to see not just the curse lifted on our eternal, on our eternal destiny, but He wants us to experience the blessing and to see the curse lifted in the present life. Look at 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Peter's reminding the, he's reminding the church that we had this empty way, if you would, circle or highlight or underline, the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. We all inherited this empty way of living. And Peter's saying, God didn't redeem you with just money, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He has redeemed us from an empty way of living that we inherited from the past. Much of what we do in life and what we experience has been handed down to us from our ancestors, from the people who came before us. And we can add to it, we can tweak it a little bit, but for the most part, we deal with things from the past And in this country, we're pretty grateful for some of the things that have happened in this country. But in other cultures, some cultures have handed down ideas about false gods that in the end will turn out to be nothing. Nothing but human, man-made ideas. In our culture, we, as a society, we've received an inheritance. Our ancestors have handed down a way of life known as materialism. And it's not much better than the false gods that are promoted in other countries. And the list could go on and on. But on top of all these ideas, also we have a family. We all come from families. We have parents and grandparents and ideas of how life works. And so those things work their way into the way we parent, the way we manage money, the way we relate to friends. We have all this baggage still around our ankles. And many of those patterns are just empty, empty patterns. And they amount to all sorts of frustration. And as a parent, with my three, I'm working hard at raising my kids God's way, but I also realize, both of us, my wife and I, are constantly aware that we're passing on things into our kids that we've picked up from the past. And you may have great parents. Maybe your parents weren't that great, or maybe you don't have parents, but we have this empty past that we've inherited. And that's a problem. These, that empty past... Those are patterns that lead down to a dead end. And on the back of this listening guide, you'll see this is a new way of living. See, the Lord, He wanted to change things. And in buying us back, a part of that is He introduced to us a brand new family. He's giving us new ancestors that have followed in God's way of life. He's dropped us into the family. It's called the family of God, the church. And we're not perfect But we're serious about God's ways. We're more serious about God's ways than we are our ways. We don't want to follow our ways. We want to do what's pleasing to Him. And so, 
At our church, our members make a commitment to live the ways of God, as stated in the New Testament. Just briefly, I want to walk through these. These are known as our heart attitudes. The first one is this. These all work against the empty way of living. This is a new way of life. To put the goals and interests of others above my own. As opposed to the empty way, is to be selfish. This, this value that we try to do, put the goals and interests of others above my own, it's not easy because we're all naturally selfish. We have this stubborn, self-centered part of our lives. And so, we grab at things. We try to get ourselves, get all we can for ourselves, more than we're due. And we don't even have to try. We're selfish. You don't have to wake up and think about it. It's just naturally part of the human heart. But to live that way is a huge waste of time. It's empty. It's a dead end. And we want so desperately to get our needs met, and so we keep grabbing after our own needs, but it's empty. We, our needs go unmet if we'll pursue ourselves ahead of other people. So we're, we're to put the goals and interests of others above our own. Secondly, live an honest and open life before others. The empty way is just to hide. Hide your problems. To pretend, to be angry, to be lonely, to be disappointed, and to not ever let anybody know about it. To not let people get close enough to where they can see the real you. So we wear masks all of our lives. But again, that's an empty, dead-end street. It leads nowhere. Third, give and receive scriptural correction. That's a third heart attitude for our church. The empty way is to be proud. To exalt ourselves in our own mind and despise the feedback of other people. If someone comes alongside us and begins to help us identify some struggles in our life or some patterns that are empty, we might resist, we might get mad, we might break those friendships. But again, that's a dead end. The fourth core value of our church is to clear up relationships. Because the empty way is anger. And we've talked about this many, many times, about how anger leads to bitterness that robs us of years. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it to live our lives angry at people, stuffing things down, continuing to, to pet and hold on to grudges that, that Christ died to set us free from. That He has established a pattern of forgiving us when we didn't deserve it. It gives us the, the opportunity to recognize, wow, He's forgiven me. I can forgive others. To participate in the work of the church is the fifth heart attitude. The empty way is laziness. Just to, 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 to sit around looking to be served rather than to serve, or serving only when it's convenient or fits your skills, interests. If that's the pattern of your life, just to, to, be a, a, to, to stand by, that's empty. It may seem like you're saving yourself Time and energy, but it's empty. It's not fulfilling. The sixth thing is support the the church financially. As opposed to the empty way, which is materialism, major part of our cultural idea that's been handed down to us, as a society, you know, as people, we want to live way beyond our means, using all of our resources for ourselves and for our family, investing in stuff that gets broken, outdated, Eventually needs to be replaced and sold in garage sales for like 2% of what we bought it for. Maybe a little better, depending on where you live. But, I mean, <laughs> believing that giving is, an, is someone else's job, and so we, we don't do that. We let other people take care of that. That's another empty way of living. Christ has redeemed us from that. The last thing is follow spiritual leadership in the church within scriptural limits. The empty way is rebellion. Just we, Our society would say that it's just better off if we protect ourselves in our way. Don't follow. You know, we think, well, I reserve the right to disobey if I disagree. Again, it's a belief that will curse our leadership. If, if we're poor followers, our leadership, when we have kids, we're going to experience the results. We're going to reap what we've sown when we've been for, poor followers in the past. See, we were redeemed in life by, by something more precious than money. If God had bought us back with $100 million, I imagine we'd be pretty grateful. But He bought us back with His own blood. We're going to watch a brief video clip here. And in this clip, this is from the movie, I don't know how to say this, Les Mis, 
I just say lay Miz, so I don't have to complete the whole statement. Lay Miserable. When okay, let me tell you about this real quick. I'm going to set this up. There's a guy named John Valjean, and he was a man who was unfairly imprisoned for 19 years. He was imprisoned to hard labor. He was caught stealing food for his family, and he was trying to feed his starving family. And when he was released, finally, remember, he was imprisoned wrongly. He was outcast. The only person who would take him in and give him a bed for, at, at night was a bishop. This bishop took him in, let him stay there, gave him food to eat. But John Valjean hates God for what he thinks God did to him. And so rather than being um, grateful for a bed and some food, he gets mad and angry. Look at how his heart remains untouched. And this is what can happen if we're not careful. Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. See, this, this bishop, he, he introduced this man to a new life. He, he challenged him to not continue to live for his empty ways of the past. He said, I have ransomed you. I bought you back. And he challenged him. And it, the, the story goes on. He takes off the hood of the thief and he begins a new life. He starts over. And this is the challenge we need. Will we, as a people... Because of our redemption at such high price, because we were bought through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, will we allow that to transform the way we do life, the way we respond to God's ways in His Word on a regular basis? Or, we will, or will we continue to just live for empty things and arrive empty when we see God? There's a verse here I want to close with, First Peter 2, 9 and 10. Cody, you can go ahead and come forward and says, but you are a chosen people. This is to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, 
that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we're to be a new people. God has redeemed us from the ways of the past. Sometimes we come to faith in Christ, but we continue to grab after what would please ourselves, to push ourselves first, and, and we remain frustrated. God wants to set us free from that. In a few minutes, we're, our ushers are going to come forward and receive our offering. And if you would, take out this connection card. Just briefly, there's three next steps on here. I'd like to consider, encourage you to consider checking on the back of this connection card. And then you can drop these in the offering. The first one is to, as a response to this message and just moving away from the empty patterns of living, pick one person to serve this week. Maybe God's nudging you just feel like, you know, I need to put the goals of someone else ahead of my own. So pick someone. Trade in that empty pattern of living for just yourself and just your family by intentionally meeting the need of someone else. You know what they need. Most likely, we already know who needs some things in our life. Don't tell them about it. Just think about what they need and and meet that need if it's within your power. Another thing is to ask for forgiveness from someone this week. You see, we tend to just get ticked off and bitter. We write people off. We harbor bitterness. And it, it destroys us. Or we recognize, you know, I've been kind of prickly. Been somewhat of a porcupine. And I need, I've offended some people. I need to straighten that out. I'd encourage you to trade that empty pattern of the past to straighten something out this week. The last thing is just asking God to stretch you in serving and in giving. Maybe you were, like I said, you're thinking, well, someone else will do that. Someone else will serve. Someone else will give. But, but we're a church that actually, you know, we don't own this place. We lease this. We set everything up. We rely heavily on our attenders and our members. And consider this. You may have been reached in this church. You may have came to faith in Christ at this church at some point in the last two and a half, three years. Or maybe you've just grown. You feel like, you know, I was a Christian before, but I've really grown. Someone else most likely served and gave so that you could experience the growth or so that you could experience the gift of, of, of hope. And, you know, God may be nudging you. Hey, it's your turn. It's your turn to pitch in. It's your turn to get involved. Because there's more people to be reached. There's more people that don't have hope. And I remember where I was. So often we start grabbing it, protecting our own self-interests, wanting what we want, and pushing that above what God would want. And so I, I just encourage you to respond if God's nudging in any of these areas. So let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, that You have redeemed us from the curse of eternal death. Lord, we, we recognize that we owe You a great debt of gratitude. We owe You our very lives. Lord, You chose us before you, before we were born, before You made the earth. Lord, You chose us. And in Christ, You redeemed us. Lord, we thank You for that. Thank You that we get to experience the promises of being blessed by You, Lord. Being able to experience freedom, to not be enslaved to our sin. To not have to live this life for empty things, Lord, but that we can live our thing, our life for things that really matter. Things that have fullness. And Lord, as we will pursue things that matter to you, Lord, you'll meet our needs all along the way. We thank you for the promises that you make to us, Lord. Help us to set aside the empty ways. We want to live for you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.